1: This is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC.
2: Welcome back, Indianapolis, to another exciting edition of Saturday Night on the Circle.
1: It's like it's been ages since I've been in the studio
2: to do a show, but I am thrilled to be here once again because there's so much to cover in the news from the official Trump arrest and his mugshot to uh, the first official Republican primary debate, which we'll be delving into along with Donald Trump's interview with Tucker Carlson, which I thought was a little bit of a snooze fest. We'll see if you agree. I selected some highlights from their exchange. Thanks for tuning into the show. uh th- Thanks for tuning into the show. You can catch my podcast uh, uploaded to Saturday Night on the uh, Circle.fireside.fm and wibc.com. Producer There's, Carl. There is
3: audio coming through your PC, so <laughs> before we have an awkward audio moment. I, th- I think I've got it fixed. Okay. Yeah, now we're good. Okay. <laughs> Didn't want to have any amateur hour here. Uh. <laughs>
2: Why, why is everything broken? I, I'm gone for a couple weeks, and then nothing works. Let's just get into the content. Oh, my goodness. It was Rob. <laughs> yeah, Rob, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, it's only fair because he blames the Weekend crew for the uh, misplacement of the camera, so now we can uh, blame Rob for readjusting where I'd had everything set on my computer. I, I double-checked. I thought everything was working. Anyway, let's delve into the Republican debate, which I thought was really interesting. Um, ultimately, I'm kind of glad that Donald Trump didn't show up because it gave other candidates an opportunity to shine. One in particular, Vivek Ramaswamy. This isn't that complicated, guys. Unlock American energy, drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear put people back to work by no longer paying them more to stay at home. Reform the U.S. Fed, stabilize the U.S. dollar, and go to war. The only war that I will declare as U.S. president will be the
4: war on the federal administrative state that is the source of those toxic regulations acting like a wet blanket on the economy. So I'm not sure I exactly understood Mike Pence's comment, but I'll let you all parse that out. For me, it's pretty simple. That's something a U.S. president can do with focus, and
2: I'll deliver on it. Wow. Vivek's starting off strong very early. Did I- Did I hear embracing nuclear energy in there? Wow. Vivek, he's got it going on. This guy was kind of a cringe fest, you know, rapping at the Iowa State Fair. Hadn't paid him much mind. Thought he was a far outlier, but he brought the fire to the first Republican primary debate. Caught me completely off guard, but I was really pleased. And he drew the fire from other candidates there, including Mike Pence, who tried to say that this was an amateur hour and it backfired on uh, uh, that uh, (laughs) wet blanket.
5: Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people. Bring
6: and, Trump.
2: Trump. and similarly, we don't need to bring a tepid conservative back into the office. Mike Pence not moving the needle. Similarly, Chris Christie also um, drew some attention uh, to Vivek and compared him with Barack Obama because he. Borrowed a couple of Barack Obama's Lines in the debate Which I thought was interesting uh, the, the skinny guy with a funny last name And uh, also the references to uh, You know, like the 1980s called They want their foreign policy back, communism is dead Etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Chris Christie, of course
6: uh, Comparing him with Obama I've had enough already tonight Of a guy who sounds like <laughs> ChatGPT Standing yeah. up here Then... The last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, What's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here? was Barack Obama. And I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur well, standing on
4: stage come tonight. Over, give me a hug. <laughs> give me a hug just same, like, like you did to Obama. Same
6: type of amateur. And, and you'll help elect me just like okay, you did to Obama, man, too. Man, give me that the man Same man type brother. of amateur. Hey, God, hold on. Hold on.
2: I, that was a sick burn, wasn't it, producer Carl? You, you catch that? You know? Yeah, I,
3: it's amazing because during Sandy, was Hurricane Sandy, uh-huh. that Christie was giving hugs to Obama. Yeah,
2: and it played well in the media uh, in an election year, and is credited for one of the reasons that Barack Obama ultimately won. So, yeah, it was great comeback from Vivek uh, to Chris Christie, who also had an. Look, obviously, crime uh, in particularly Democrat-controlled cities is outrageous and one of the more pressing problems facing America right now. I'm not sure Chris Christie's proposal would fit the bill. you got to start somewhere, but he's essentially proposing a federal overtake of local prosecution, which also is, I suppose, something uh, that was proposed by Joe Hogsett uh, due to the inaction of Ryan Mears locally, but here's Chris Christie's idea.
6: The problem is is, is that these prosecutors, in these localities in the states are refusing to do their job and to arrest violent criminals. So what a President Christie would do is appoint an attorney general who would instruct each of the 93 U.S. attorneys that they are to take over the prosecution of violent crime in every one of those cities that are failing to do so. We have plenty of room in the federal prisons to lock up these violent criminals and clean up what's going on all across this country in these individual cities.
2: The underperformers of the debate, I thought, were without question Asa Hutchinson, snooze fest. Uh, Doug Burgum, Doug who went nowhere. Uh, he had that silly anecdote, like he wasted more, you know, a bunch of money to get up on that stage, giving out what was it, twenty dollar gift cards to people who would make a d- donation to his campaign. Um, it wasted a bunch of money to be there just so he could trot out that line. Oh well, you know, they said break a leg in Mil- Milwaukee. I didn't know it was going to be literal. Like oh, ha, because he had that accident the night before the debate. Um, and potentially wasn't going to be able to come. But that just w- wasn't the moment. I, I I felt that like the line fell flat and there were more important things to talk about. The audience was also quite lively. Uh, they were interactive, shall we say, with the comments and propositions being made by the candidates, which I, you know, I, I thought was another strength. Of the debate There there was a lot of uh, crossfire A lot of discussion of ideas And policy positions um, And not just the hot takes Which I liked But at one point Brett Baer actually had to turn around And chide the audience Like a bunch of children In the back of a minivan Which was hysterical You make
6: me laugh Because <laughs> you guys, you, sit, you sit here In an answer You sit here in an answer Right on, oh, no, no, You sit here and answer.
5: Go ahead, Hold Governor Christie. Hold, Go Hold on, to Christie. Hold on. So listen, the more time we spend doing this, the less time they can talk about issues you want to talk about. So let's just get through this section.
2: Boom roasted. <laughs> got the chatter from the peanut gallery. I agree. I mean, you know, to a certain extent, uh it's nice to have feedback, but there was a, there was a moment where it became counterproductive and I think the audience realized that and they restrained themselves and fortunately we got on track after that. The overall winner, I want to say, was Vivek. I want I came in expecting DeSantis to perform better. He kept circling around to his experience as a governor in Florida, which I thought was was the right message, but ultimately his uh community Communication and delivery, I thought fell flat. And of course, now there's that meme of him making a silly face and kind of a a weirdo grin, uh, which is. Yeah, it's stupid that silly stuff like that will sing a campaign, but it absolutely does. And to a degree, uh, uh, politics is a game of expectations. And being that he has underperformed, now the uh, zeitgeist has shifted, I think, maybe to Vivek. We'll see how it goes in future debates. Now, of course, the presumptive nominee and overall winner, Donald Trump, he's far and ahead uh, polling uh, above the other Republican nominees. So, in many ways, they were uh, uh, debating for the runner up position. He had what I felt was a rather luck- lackluster interview with Tucker Carlson. Uh, there were a few interesting moments from that, but Tucker Carlson asked that question, asked the question about uh, whether Donald Trump believed that Epstein killed himself. And I was kind of surprised by the Trumpster's response.
5: Do you, do you think epstein killed himself sincerely i don't know I, I will say that you know he was a fixture in palm beach yeah uh i don't know what Barr said about it either i have no idea what he said what did he say he killed himself probably he said he that killed that himself way? and that they were gonna do this investigation they never did the investigation it's never been yeah. public well, and they hid it and like why are they doing that do you think it's possible that epstein was killed oh sure it's possible i, I mean i don't really believe it. i think he probably uh committed suicide he had a life with you know beautiful homes and beautiful everything and he uh, all of a sudden he's incarcerated and not doing very well i would say that he did
2: Look, I think it was an irrelevant question, but Donald Trump being the meme king president, there's only one correct answer when asked, did Epstein kill himself? And it's no, Epstein didn't kill himself. So a little bit surprised by that. Of course, Tucker Carlson also used the opportunity to air some grievance
5: with chris wallace when i debated him i said how come and this was in front of probably not a friend of yours chris wallace he was the moderator not a friend i said why did why is it he wants to be mike but he doesn't have the talent it's one He's of those bitchy little, little man he wanted to be his father yeah. but he didn't have the talent of his, his father was greatest He's father
6: little fussy man
2: can you believe that yeah i mean Some low blows to Chris Wallace. I guess there is a a little bit of tension between the former coworkers there. Um, Donald Trump, of course, also talking about the really ridiculous indictments he's facing right now. The Democrats have grossly overplayed their hand, which leads me to suspect that this is, it's gotta be intentional. They have to understand that they're elevating his prominence within the Republican party and hedging their bets that they'll be able to beat him in the general election. But yes, he did mention the indictments. I
5: got indicted four times all trivia nonsense bull**** it's all (laughs) bull**** it's horrible when you look and and you look at what they're doing uh... the boxes hoax i'm covered by the presidential records act i'm allowed to do exactly that he's not covered and he's got twenty five times the number of boxes and he's got them stored in chinatown he's got them stored in a flimsy garage underneath his corvette uh... at penn and by the way at penn he gets millions of dollars china pays this guy millions of dollars See, I think he's the most corrupt president we've ever had, and he also has the distinction of being the most incompetent.
2: And then check this out, Carl. Uh, you'll remember the exchange, the now infamous exchange between Rob Kendall and I here on WIBC when I was filling in on the Kendall and Casey show. Yes, sir. T- T- Tucker Carlson asked the same question that I did, and he didn't get in trouble. Check this out.
5: So if you're saying they stole it from you last time, why wouldn't they do the same this time? Oh, well, uh, they try. they're going to be trying, yeah. And not not only me, you know. Look, De Santis is out. I think he's gone. So he was he was at a level he's people have figured him out. He's gone. But if somebody else got in other than me, they'll go at him just as viciously as they did me. These people are sick.
2: So Trump set this up to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Win or lose, because, of course, if he wins, then it's because he pulled the mask back on the corruption in Washington. And if he loses, then it's proof that the system is rigged. Either way, Trump wins. It's 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 40 chess. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call it brilliant, but it is very interesting. Thanks for listening to 93 WIBC Saturday night on The Circle. Sorry if we've been moving a million miles an hour on this, but I had a lot of sound that I wanted to get through and still a lot of sound to get through. I hope you'll stay tuned for the rest of the show on 93 WIBC.
4: First, that jingle, jingle, jingle. Jingle, jangle.
2: As I go riding merrily.
1: You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle on
2: 93 WIPC. And that song is Thanks for tuning into the show, Indianapolis. Of course, we just got done doing a deep dive on some of the highlights from the first Republican debate as well as the conversation between Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson. So after a heavy conversation, I thought maybe we would take a side tour, a detour, if you will, into the world of entertainment. Uh, of course, uh, Christopher Nolan's epic bio pick. Oppenheimer getting ready to wrap up its uh, theatrical run at least in IMAX theaters. It was extended through the end of August. I originally saw it um, on uh, standard cinematic uh, aspect ratio, but I'd kind of like to see the the IMAX experience. Have you seen Oppenheimer producer Carl? I have not. But I want to. Check it out, man. It's really good. It's really interesting. It's something you should see in a theater a lot of the experience um, is attributable to I think the soundscape the sound design is really phenomenal the cinematography of course is good it's competent it's, it's shot by Christopher Nolan. Um, the plot I thought was somewhat convoluted but it really conveyed the essence of who Oppenheimer was I, I thought it was great I recommend you go check it out uh, uh, producer Carl and I want to see it again um, and check it out on the IMAX it'd be it'd be worthwhile
3: my experience with IMAX is that it can get sick, but this is not that type of movie. Well, I mean, I it's so clear and things are moving so fast. Uh, I, I guess if you have motion sickness I never thought about that I, I don't do you, do you. I've have... seen an IMAX Where you're on a roller coaster And you can definitely get sick By doing that
2: Oh I'd never go to uh, see Like a final destination at IMAX <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Now th- I, I bring up Oppenheimer Because I caught this on Twitter Where this unhinged wife Was talking about her game plan With Hubby Of how to handle the sex scene In Oppenheimer You wear this producer car Where Florence Pugh And uh, the you know main the guy who plays the main character his name escapes me. um, They they have a very awkward sex scene, and here's this wife talking about how they handled it.
7: So essentially, um, what we did was, when the scene came up, when things were happening, he literally closed his eyes and laid his head on my shoulder. Like, (sighs) if this is my shoulder, like this is my shoulder, he like this, and then I would just like let him know whenever it was over. And it literally, I will tell you what right now, took nothing away from the story. Him not looking at the screen during – did not change the storyline, did not change anything. Um, Have a plan and talk about it before you go.
2: Take the testicles out of the purse, lady. (laughs) My goodness. Boy,
3: they must have a really – Exciting
2: uh-huh. love life at home. Uh-huh. Now I will say, since we're talking about the sex scene, I thought it was really kind of funny and out of place, and I'm glad I had this part spoiled for me because I would have bust out loud laughing in the theater. They're, you know, shagging. Uh, she, he's shagging this communist, uh, and she's like, "Read Sanskrit to me," and he busts out with the now, you know, now infamous quote about, "I am become death." like reading it across her chest. Like, what is going on with this scene, Chris? This is a very odd directorial choice, Chris. I'm not... <laughs> but that said, obviously, she seems, seems a little unhinged. Also, speaking of unhinged women, have you heard um, the slaughter... Fest, uh, uh crusade that Rachel Zegler has been waging against her own starring role in the Snow White live action remake. Are you aware of this, producer Carl? No, I am not aware. She is a bit of a weirdo, and a lot of these statements are just being dug up now because you know the actor strike is going on, and people are taking time to you know go. Dig through the Twitter files to find something to talk about. So previous interviews she's already done, but doing a lot of singular damage to um, what is no longer snow snow white, but more accurately snow beige and the seven diversity hires.
3: I mean, you know, the the original cartoon came out in 1937, yeah. and very evidently so. <laughs> um, there is a big focus on her love story um, with a guy who literally stalks her. <laughs> yeah. Weird, it's weird, super weird. So we didn't do that this time so no, so no prince or a different kind of prince we have a different approach to what I'm sure a lot of people will assume is a love story just because like yeah. we cast a guy in the movie Andrew Burnap, great dude yeah. um, it's a uh, it's one of those things that i think everyone's gonna have their assumptions about what it's actually going to be but uh it's really not about the love story at all which is really really wonderful and whether or not she finds love along the way is anybody's guess until 2024 um all of andrew's scenes could get cut who knows it's hollywood baby
1: your intellect is as weak as your dollar failure is your destiny you disrespect yourself and your nation you are made of stupid
2: So this whole production lacks any kind of sense. Not only does she have this extreme antipathy for the character she's portraying, but the producers saw fit to cut the dwarves from Snow White and the seven dwarves. It's now seven magical creatures, which I which is why I say it's it's really snow beige and the seven diversity hires. They look nothing it's not, not happy, angry, sleepy, you know.
3: <laughs> they're not calling them like the seven little people. They're calling they're, them creatures. They're magical
2: creatures. They're not dwarves. Dwarves. They're, oh, regular, they're not dwarves. Okay. They're, they're not dwarves at all. They're regularly sized people because portraying portraying dwarves would be offensive, you know, accord this according to Peter Dinklage. It was a whole thing. You know Peter English criticizing the production, and so out of that, they they basically didn't employ d- d- little people actors that would have loved to have a job.
3: Yeah, so isn't that discrimination? I mean, it's part
2: of the what original movie
6: producer Carl.
2: <laughs> one would think but uh but yeah Ray, between between Rachel Zegler and, and Disney they're doing loads of damage to this production nobody's going to go see this nobody wants to see this it sounds like a nightmare and even the son of the uh <coughs> I guess lead animator the director of the 1938 uh, Snow White is coming out against this saying that you know Walt Disney and his dad would be turning over in their graves um w- with the comments that are being made but this isn't the only wokery going on in Hollywood they are also waging a crusade against uh your musical heritage producer Carl this is upsetting in the recent reproduction of uh uh queens best loved songs they've removed fat bottom girls now in the <laughs> Yeah, I know. This is this is crazy. Now, in the original, what was it, 19, um, 1981 Greatest Hits album, that was number four on the list. It's sitting right next to Bohemian Rhapsody and We Will Rock You. You know, it's, it's higher than a, a bicycle. You know, it's, it is a queen Greatest Hits, but it's too offensive for modern audiences, you understand. So Snippy Snip gets cut. This is ridiculous. This is just silly. I,
3: he wasn't saying it in a derogatory no. sense. He liked them. Yeah,
2: yeah. And if they're coming after Queen, they're definitely going to be coming after Sir Mix a lot. Yeah. Uh, Baby Big Got black. Back. Also, a fabulous cover from the artist Jonathan Colton, I might say. I'm
1: tired of magazines black butts are the thing. Take the average black man and ask him that. got to pack much back. So, fellas, yeah. fellas.
6: It, but baby God
2: Best cover of that song ever. Enjoy it while you can because the Wokies are coming after you next. Nothing is safe in their cultural crusade, and that's why they got to be defeated. That's why I thought it was really cool. Vivek Ramaswamy addressing it directly in the debate. Check them out. I thought it was neat. Vivek Ramaswamy winning, in my opinion, the first presidential debate. Of course, we got a long way to go until the primaries are finalized, and I hope you will join us every step of the way. Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. Hat Trips. Tricks coming up next. Stay tuned. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans.
0: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up,
1: To Saturday night on The Circle on 93 WIPC.
2: Finally, the secret is out this week as a liberal on TikTok makes a stunning admission that many in political punditry have ex- uh, suspected to be true for a long time. Don't miss the shocking details revealed in this segment. We'll also turn back the clock on the climate science industry, which would love to forget how drastically their settled science has shifted in a short amount of time. Also, check out an appalling lack of decorum from a thin-skinned umpire at the Daytona Cubs game who deserves every ounce of shame levied towards him for this week's edition of Hat Tricks with Hatcher.
1: It's time for another one of Hatcher's Hat Tricks. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been
8: changed
2: to protect the innocent. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle, where I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher, and producer, Carl. Beep, 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 pushing the buttons and doing the things to make the show function. We begin this week with a stunning admission from a liberal on TikTok who basically gave the game away, admitting what many of us have come to know for a long time. Listen, if
0: you don't qualify for a mental illness under capitalism and fascism, then I don't (laughs) trust you because that means that you are fine with your dystopian reality and everything is okay. Mental illness is a political identity and always has been
5: Ah, ah, he said it he said it Ah, yeah there
2: it is there it is let's let's go with that but what'd she say illness
0: is a political identity and always has been
2: mental illness is a political identity yes sweetie we figured that out Here's another good example from uh, one of these nutcases in a local school administration. Um, This is Adriana Gonzalez, who attributes failing grades to white supremacy in the school.
6: The reason why our students have always been failing is because of structural racism and because we don't have a lot of money compared to the amount of money that we should be allocated. We want more money. Yeah, more money. More money from where? Just more money, you know. So um, maybe we need to be more explicit about that, that white supremacy is uh, very alive and well in our schools. Um.
2: Shut up, silly woman. So she's a board member for Waukegan schools, which incidentally closed down during COVID and stayed shut down for nearly 17 months. Over a year. So you think that might have had some impact on your kids' academic welfare there, lady? Not some sort of systemic racism in the school? And mind you, schools are overwhelmingly controlled by teachers' unions and Democrats. So if you're saying the problem is systemic racism and white supremacy that's alive and well in the school system controlled by Democrats, then what's that say about you, lady also, um, of course, we're turning back the clock on climate science. This was a report in 1978. You'll be surprised how different it sounds from the warnings being uh, le- uh, bandied about today.
9: I think we'd have to think about moving someplace south.
2: Move where? The brutal Buffalo winter might become common
8: all over the United States. Climate experts believe the next ice age is on its way. According to recent evidence, it could come sooner than anyone had expected. At weather stations in the far north, temperatures have been dropping for 30 years. Seacoasts, long free of summer ice, are now blocked year-round. According to some climatologists, within a lifetime, we might be living in
2: the next ice age. And this just shows how media and and science manipulates uh, the narrative. I mean, look at that, the scary music they had going on in the background, uh, y- you know, try and uh, basically hijack your emotions and your emotional response, but saying something completely. in opposition to what is now considered settled science today. You know, global warming and the extreme climate shift, yada, yada, yada. Obviously, it was an ice age 50 years ago, so it doesn't seem like the science is very settled at all. And here you have morons, macaroons, blocking streets and preventing people from going to their jobs in protest of this, you know, uh, uh, impending climate doom as they see it. Here's a hero uh, of the American roadway dragging these idiots these knuckleheads out of the road so that way she can get to her job excuse me, excuse
10: me. I gotta it. move Go ahead. move out my way Yeah, um, we have traffic stop we gotta be at, here. um, I don't
1: give a little a bit. Come
10: on! Y'all holding so me up! up. up. I got
1: a go. <laughs>
10: job, We have traffic stop. I
4: need to go,
6: the climate is going to get people killed you are so dumb you are really dumb for real see the
2: mistake the other guys made was trying to reason with them like these folks are gluing super gluing their hands to the pavement and they're trying to reason with them like no just push them out of the way like that gal did she had the right idea and that's how they need to be handled every time and and i'll tell you another person who gets it is this little uh, australian kid who caught the news team totally by surprise, for his segment.
10: A vegan and a vegetarian are jumping off a cliff to see who hit the bottom first. Who wins? I
3: don't know. Who wins?
10: Society. (laughs) Society. We weren't expecting that.
2: Little man has a savage sense of humor, just sardonic to the extreme degree, and I love it. I love it. That's great. Um, now, I don't know if you saw this, producer Carl. I don't usually follow the sports football much at all because I think it's kind of annoying on the main, but um, this did catch my attention from the Do- De- uh, Daytona Cubs. An umpire ejected the organist for playing <laughs> Three blind mice.
5: You're oh, done. Parker just got tossed. They think it's clear. The guy played
2: three
8: blind mice. Oh. Turn the sound off the rest of the night.
4: Wow. Never mind. Derek Dye was just ejected from the game. Derek Derek Dye was ejected from the game. Movement. Man!
2: thin skin do you have to be as an umpire pretty i mean producer carl this seems uncalled for do you agree and no sense of humor either right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um now apparently uh these umpires are pretty prickly because there is some precedent for this it happened in a 1980s game where uh, an organist was ejected for playing the same song three blind mice and in a separate incident i think in the 90s um a music player was uh, thrown out for playing uh, the mickey mouse theme club uh, fan club song. Uh, it was deemed as uh, disrespectful, which you know. I mean, I, I get. I guess some of those officials deserve it. You're listening to Saturday night on the Circle 93 WIBC. We had one more to get to. Oh yeah this is a couple weeks old um at this point but it still really bothered me i'm sure you saw the footage of those uh C- stockton california store clerks who just beat the crap out of this lowlife who was shoveling uh st- just loads of cigarettes into a garbage can to haul off and they beat the snot out of him with uh some sticks these guys are getting investigated for assault.
7: Following developing news in Stockton, we have now learned the store clerks seen on a video beating a man who was trying to steal from their store are now under investigation for assault. So here's how it all started. The video shows this man going into a 7-Eleven in Stockton and emptying shelves of cigarettes into that large trash can. The video then shows the two clerks try to stop him before hitting him with a stick more than two dozen times. The store clerks now say this man stole from their store two other times and threatened them stockton police say they are investigating the man who was beaten for robbery and the clerks for assault
9: i'm going to be honest with you i hate this place this zoo this prison this reality whatever you want to call it i
2: can't stand it any longer what a perversion of justice these guys don't need to be getting investigated even if the prosecutor chooses not to move forward with the charges they need to be getting a medal they need to be rewarded for fending off an attack on their store, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Just let whoever, you know, whoever you know, wander into the store and start shoveling off uh, uh, product? You know. Nothing. Yeah. Well,
3: somehow the DA is not ignoring um, their violence; they just ignore everybody else's violence.
2: Another excellent point, producer Carl. It's it it's insane, and, and yeah, I I hate this place. I this, I, I this hate is why I building. don't live in California. <laughs> good call. Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. More content to come on 93 WIBC. Stay tuned.
1: You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle on
2: 93 WIBC. Wrapping things up for the first hour of Saturday Night on the Circle. Thanks for tuning into the show. Now, the question must be asked How high do you need to be when you're already in a hot air balloon? Apparently, that wasn't high enough for one ill fated pilot, a 62 year old by the name of Nicholas Malinsky. Well, We are now finding out after a lengthy investigation. This crash happened a couple of years ago in 2021. They're now revealing that it was because likely he had cocaine and marijuana in his system while piloting this hot air balloon.
4: Dr. Roxo!
2: Times and places not to do blow when you're flying an airship, I think would be foremost on the list, but apparently not in this guy's estimation, leading to a deadly crash, the most deadly in uh, hot air balloon New Mexico aeronautical history, I guess. Uh, Five people perishing because of that knucklehead's poor decision making. Um, obvi- obviously, that is not the time or place for extreme recreational substances. Uh, sadly, not the only instance where that was abused. Um, I'm sure you've heard the reports coming out of LaPorte, Indiana, where a five year old boy unfortunately shot. His uh, younger brother, I believe, was only six, five or six months old at the time to death. Um, the five-year-old had cocaine in his system. The toddler had marijuana in his system. The apartment, their uh, parents, 27-year-old um, uh, Daytona and uh, 24-year-old Shatia, um, was basically just a drug den that these kids were uh, were living in, and of course they had cross contaminated because of how careless the parents were, ultimately leading to the fatality of one of their children, which is just extremely tragic, um, and it, ha- it happens it happens too often. Um, now. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this story, uh, producer Carl. Did you see this in the uh, lineup? The headline is Italian farmer 74 crushed to death by thousands of falling Parmesan-style cheese wheels. Now, that's kind of an unusual way to die, but uh, the uh, author was a little bit morbid about it. I'll just read directly from the article, quote, It's no Gouda. The 74-year-old dairy farmer got creamed during a meltdown at his sprawling cheese warehouse in northern Italy on Sunday night when thousands of wheels of hard parmesan style Formaggio collapsed on top of him that's too many puns in a, a very he's a good writer though a, yeah I mean look I have a very bleak sense of humor and this is right up my alley I'm just I'm just not sure that that's the time or play like in a very <laughs> This is something I would joke about with my friends. You know, I'm not sure I'd put it front and forward in a, in a national news article. And this it's, wasn't the Babylon Bee. No. Um, where did I get that? I think there's a the New York Post that that wrote it up, which which maybe, you know, there's what do you expect? It's the New York Post. But still, it's a little little insensitive for the 74 year old. Um, he was a oh, uh, uh the owner, actually, of the uh, Chipperini Cheese Making Company in uh, Lombardy, uh, and this warehouse, I guess, stores 90-pound cheese wheels, on wooden shelves and he was dusting them off as they aged and it caused a cascading collapse of cheese that literally buried this man alive took them hours to dig his carcass out from the cheese wheels and then now they're I, i guess loading the cheese into nearby warehouses because they don't want it to go bad poor guy though i mean i mean i guess it was his life's work he literally died for it so don't want the cheese to go bad that is that's a little bit morbid let's get let's get off of that um now in a very um, fatalistic segment uh, there was also a french daredevil remy lucidi met a very predictable demise falling off of the 68th floor of a Hong Kong skyscraper. I guess that's what he liked to do for uh, TikTok and Instagram videos. He's one of these, uh, you know, extreme daredevils that climbs up to uh, places that you're not supposed to be. And obviously his reck- recklessness ultimately led to a fatality. He forced his way through like the 40th floor and then uh, broke through an a, a entry door to get his way outside. And then he got what he wanted and fell to his death. So, you know, obviously Obviously, there are better ways to pursue fame, in my opinion. Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. We've got a lot more coming up, including comments from Donald Trump speaking after the arrest in Georgia. Crazy stuff. Also comments about the mugshot. Stay tuned to Saturday Night on The Circle. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans.
0: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
1: Smile, though your
4: heart is aching. Smile. Even though it's breaking, when there are clouds.
1: This is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC.
2: If you smile. Thanks for tuning into the show, ladies and gentlemen. It is always my pleasure to join you here on a Saturday evening. If you missed the first hour of the show, you can find my podcast uploaded to Saturday Night on the Circle. As well as WIBC.com on the show page. Also feel free to check out my collection of whiteboard drawings, which have been uploaded there over the, you know, last few years. I've done a number of them, and you can find a collection posted to the show page on WIBC. Of course, this hour, we're going to talk about the uh, Donald Trump arrest in Georgia for the charges of interfering with the election and lying to officials in regards to that. A spectacle, to be sure. Also, stay tuned later this hour where a guest, Casey Daniels, will be joining us for a conversation again about uh, who I thought won the uh, Republican debate and her impressions from the exchange between candidates there. It's going to be a very entertaining conversation. Conversation, I assure you. So stay tuned for that. But first, Donald Trump, where to begin? I mean, he is facing a horrible uh, miscarriage of justice, um, being singularly targeted by the Department of Justice for political means. Um, He is at least right about that, absolutely. And the mugshot has now gone viral. He is using it to fundraise off the campaign. Um, Memes are being made. uh, uh, Campaign merch is being produced. Um, If the intended effect was to damage uh, or diminish Donald Trump in any way, it seems that it has completely backfired, and Donald Trump himself addressing, uh, the arrest and speaking out after um, he was processed.
5: I really believe this is a very sad day for America. This should never happen. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election. And I should have every right to do that. As you know, you have many people that you've been watching over the years do the same thing, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams or many others. When you uh, have that great freedom to challenge, you have to be able to, otherwise you're going to have very dishonest elections. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows it. I've never had such support. And that goes with the other ones too. What they're doing is election interference. They're trying to interfere with an election. There's never been anything like it in our country before. This is their way of campaigning. And this is one instance, but you have three other instances. It's election interference. So I want to thank you for being here. We did nothing wrong at all. And we have every right, every single right, to challenge an election that we think is dishonest, that we think it's very dishonest. Now,
2: I, I think it's a very tenuous prospect to compare yourself with characters like Stacey Abrams in the ongoing uh, claim of election fraud. Um, Obviously, that was wildly misplaced um, on the part of Stacey Abrams. So to compare yourself to that, I think is is a little bit misplaced. Uh, But that said, Donald Trump seems to be coming out the winner on this exchange um, because of how the Justice Department has targeted him. Many voters feel obligated um to support him as he battles against the deep state. So, you know, that that is a position. Of course, like I said, a lot of memes have been made off of uh, the arrest, off mug of the mugshot. Um, they, they've they already got a Donald Trump AI rap.
4: I don't bail, I don't bail. I won't see inside a cell. Shout out thugger, free my slime. Slat, slap, cell. They trying to lock me up, but I'm plugged in in H-E-L. Got homies doing life in jail. They live in hell. These DAs acting silly. My mugshot is worth a billion. So some merchant made in Millie Shot me Millie Out in Philly Shot the baby Shot this house up Benny butcher, butchered Them my rollers Called me racist But these rappers Riding with me Them my soldiers mega mega mega. I am not who they are after I'm just in the way They want to get to you But I won't let them Cold hearted No I'm artist Getting back to where I started I don't need to do the race I'ma beat them Rico charges, And if I go to prison You can't do me like the Clintons I'll be laid up Eating steak with Secret Service Chilling Screaming Orange man bad The whole oh, world met the life shatter all of my mega base shit coming for the deep state i will stop the new world order but before that i'll finish wells at the border
2: you got to give the man credit he thrives on controversy
3: that would be a great
2: ad <laughs> <laughs> leave it to Donald Trump. He probably would. He probably would. And it would succeed too, because that's just how it seemed, things uh, seem to be going. Look, if he wins the 2024 cycle, it will be the probably single greatest comeback in american history truly something to behold of course donald trump not the only thing going on in the news right now joe biden also made his uh visit to maui um after offering the residents that uh, a big seven hundred dollar check in light of the disaster
5: he also authorized one-time payments of seven hundred dollars per household the folks have been displaced so they can do the immediate things of just taking care of medications and prescription that they so badly need
2: be kidding people got bigger stimulus checks than that and these folks have lost everything they've lost their home they've lost family members loved ones stuff that can't be replaced for seven hundred dollars and you're not buying much medication for that either that's seven hundred dollars per household not not individual per household that is an insult which many lahina and maui residents feel like it was here was one uh resident's comment and uh, told told him where he can stick that 700 dollars.
10: today i haven't had any money come in i haven't had anybody call me back i didn't have anything I, i have no idea i lost my house I lost my car. I lost my animals. I mean, come on, man. We're not getting anything. Till today, I still didn't get my meds. I cannot get my meds yet. My my medicine was all burnt in my house. My rent money was all burnt in my house. I have no money anymore. I think Joe Biden should take his $700 and get back on the (laughs) plane and go home. That's what I think. Because $700 compared to all the millions is given to, to Ukraine. Why? We need it. That's why we don't understand why. We're citizens and we cannot get money. But if they're not citizens, they get gazillions of dollars from the USA.
2: I mean, it just seems like a slap in the face, you know, to offer such a meager compensation. Uh, you, you may as well have offered nothing more than your condolences at that point. Uh, Because truly, it it, it does seem uh, uh, very modest and very insulting, uh, especially with, as she pointed out, the support, the millions, multi-millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that have gone to Ukraine. Uh, Plus the equipment, it's it's obscene and ridiculous. One thing I will say is not necessarily a fair criticism is criticism of the fact that, That Biden visited the island. Here was one resident who framed it, you know, as clogging up the roads and uh, drawing attention to himself.
1: What he's not doing, actually, for for the citizens of of this country, for the citizens of Maui and Lahaina, it's completely disrespectful. And now he's going to be coming here tomorrow, and all of a sudden it's going to clog up the roads. They're not going to let anybody through. It's going to slow everything down just so he can come in and take a look and and do nothing yet again. So it's ridiculous. It's nonsense. And...
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Look, Joe Biden is definitely a schmuck and a failure of a president, but we've also been criticizing him pretty hard for not visiting East Palestine. I mean, if you go on RNC Research uh, on the Twitter feed, I'm not calling it X.com, stupid name, on the Twitter feed for uh, RNC Research, uh, th- they've been keeping a, a track. It's been 200 days since the d- uh, disaster in East Palestine and more than 175 um, since Biden promised that he would visit at some point and still nothing. So you know, look, you can't criticize him for both visiting the side of his disaster and not visiting the site of a disaster at least at least he did the bare minimum effort which look is what you can expect from joe biden look he did the bare minimum but that's not necessarily something we should be complaining
3: and when he visited he he had a hard time staying awake did you see that video where you're falling asleep yeah
2: no that was insulting that was incredibly insulting um but but again in regards to uh, east palestine here's fox news again noting that he's not visiting there is visiting Maui criticized for that not visiting East Palestine also criticized for that East Palestine's mayor says there is
5: probably more the White House could do to help expedite the cleanup but it has been a hundred and
7: seventy days now since President Biden said he would come visit and there still aren't any plans in place for that visit to happen
2: There are no show here and, you know, they haven't been around, haven't really heard from them. But now that, you know, everything's calmed down, it would be nice to have him come um,
1: show that, you know, he cares about the village and, you know, he can see what's actually going on.
2: Right. Because although obviously there's a lot more that Joe Biden could do, at least he showed up there. He did the bare minimum. Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. We've got so much more to come, including, coming up next, a conversation about the Hamilton Eastern Public Library debacle that has completely collapsed. Um, and it's it's really interesting. And I'm going to connect that with a conversation from 1959 with one of my favorite people ever, the publisher president of Random House Bennett Cerf in a conversation he had with Mike Wallace about the same issue of censorship. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that discussion coming up next on 93 WIPC. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans.
0: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips.
1: We don't need no force
2: control.
1: This is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC.
2: No dogs stop. Thanks for tuning in to Saturday Night on The Circle. This segment, will be discussing the fallout from the Hamilton East Public Library policy that's now been reversed after drawing national criticism and the ire of a beloved Hoosier author. Thanks for tuning in to the show. Before we delve into that, though, and connect it with a conversation um, held 1959 with Mike Wallace and one of the. Favorite people ever, uh, Bennett Cerf, publisher, president of Random House. Uh, check this out. There's controversy going on right now in Martinsville schools, where I guess parents are pushing back against a policy that uh, would ban students from having cell phones at the school. I agree producer Carl. This is ridiculous. As a product of the 90s, I grew up without cell phones. And of course, children in the early 2000s who had them were considered to be privileged spoiled little brats who had no business having a Nokia, which it was at the mm. time, you know, Nokia at the time. You don't need a cell phone, kid. And it remains the same today. I don't think these kids need cell phones, especially since these things are no longer just phones. Yeah. They are basically miniature computers. Right. You don't need to have those in the classrooms. Sorry. And it's a distraction. Yes. Yeah, sorry parents and of course they're uh you know all because well what about the school shootings like uh oh. what do you say to that because if you say well you know it's not a problem then you look like the jerk but let's be honest let's be real here it doesn't it's not happening every day you know and i'm not sure that even if it would happen at your school that giving a little uh burger goblin a cell phone is going to make a difference in that, in that scenario. Like, sorry. So I, I don't know. I think the parents are making much ado about nothing, but that's my take. I don't think you need to have a cell phone in the classroom. What you do need to have is access to a well-rounded education and a diversity of ideas and thought. I mentioned this because of a policy which has now been reversed at Hamilton Eastern Public Library Schools. This is the brainchild in many ways of Micah Beckwith, who is desperate to gain access to a higher office, any office. He'll take any office. Of course, right now it's lieutenant governor, but I think he'd like to be a congressman or a senator or really anything that will bring him to Washington, D.C. He often bemoans the idea like, oh, it would be so hard for me and my family to move to Washington, D.C. and says it with all the sincerity of like Briar Rabbit. Please don't throw me in the briar patch. Oh, I'd hate to be thrown in the briar patch. Guy just strikes me as a grifter. Sorry. And this policy that is his brainchild has now blown up in his face. Of course, it seemed, you know, relatively innocuous. Let's be honest. It wasn't a book ban. They were playing musical chairs with the books. They're yanking books that had been approved for the young adult section of the library and transferring them to the adult section of the library on the grounds they had questionable material therein whatever fine okay who's gonna complain about taking the smut away uh you know from the children's section of the library but he overreached he overreached with this book from john green who's your author the fault in our stars because it contained horror of horrors a sex scene where a heterosexual teenage couple mutually lose their virginity <gasps> that's not a problem like Okay, fine. You don't want your kid reading a book like that, but you can't tell me it's not pertinent and relevant to a teenage audience. Certainly something they're thinking about. And look, this conversation of censorship isn't even something that's new an old conversation, and the kind of characters who are out to moralize over your life are also not a recent invention. Here is Bennett Cerf, publisher president of Random House and in an exchange with Mike Wallace on the issue of censorship all the way back in 1959. So if you think that society has really you know, run off the rails now, imagine the same conversation being held more than 50 years ago in the golden age of the American past.
8: Last week, you told our reporter, you said this, one of the greatest threats facing book publishing, and the entire country for that matter, is censorship. Now, I think you'll agree that our bookstores are crammed with frequently lurid reading matter. So specifically, why is censorship
9: such a great threat? I don't think the bookstores have as much lurid matter in them as possibly two issues of a daily tabloid. Uh, I don't think books Hardbound books on the whole are lurid. There will be an occasional book that might go beyond the bounds. But as far as book publishers are concerned, I think they uh, hew closer to the line of decency and what people should be reading than any other kind of publisher or any other purveyor of entertainment.
2: With all the societal ills we face, imagine trying to paint the picture that libraries are the cause of our social decay. Come on. Let's get real here. Um and also the people who want to censor are a particular type of personality. They don't see fit to moralize over their own life. They want to moralize over yours because it gives them control.
8: Yet you say one of the greatest threats facing book publishing and the entire country is censorship. That's right. What is the
9: who does the censoring and what is the motive of those who censor? Well, now that would take a lot of exploration, Mike. I think uh, there are an awful lot of people in this country who are not satisfied to govern themselves and their own families, or the people who belong to the same cult that they do, but who have taken it upon themselves to tell everybody else what they should read, what they should see, and what they should think. For what reason do they do it? I guess they think it uh, will uh, make them more sure of getting to heaven. I don't know why they do it. Uh, I think they're selling short the good taste of the American public. Who are these people
8: who would like to inflict this kind of censorship upon the American public? What are the groups?
9: Self-appointed snoop hounds. Such come, as? Come, Such as? They come from all walks of life, uh, In all the way back to colonial days and the times of the Puritans. There were people who were telling others what they must think, how they must behave, and uh, what their morals must be. Now these people cannot resist
2: butting in. Whether it's the Wokies or the Puritans, these people seek to strong arm and moralize over your own independent decision-making more than a thousand three hundred books had been removed and set for a review in the young adult library collection at a cost of more than $300,000 in order just to transfer these and comb over and look for any so-called objectionable material, objectionable to whom is the question. And therein lies uh, the, the, the rather deceptive statement. objectionable
3: to that wife whose husband had to turn his head away at the Oppenheim (laughs) movie.
2: Yes. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent point. Um, now they picked in many ways the wrong book because of course this drew the ire from Hoosier author, John Green got them to at first reverse the position for his book. Like, Oh, sorry, sorry. We overreached. Oh, we're going to put your book back from the adult section into the young adult, uh, from the adult section into the young adult section. um, uh, but but of course, that wasn't enough. They then sh- in short order uh, removed the president of the board, uh, replacing Alderling with an English teacher who'd been uh, teaching in Noblesville school for more than 20 years. So obviously this p- policy and the overreach particularly backfiring in a big way because you could have picked the most objectionable material to go after. But instead, you chose this relatively tame book to remove. And in so uh, created your own doing. Of course, Bennett Surf had more uh, commentary on this issue and made an excellent observation that really, again, of all the societal ills, you're not finding them usually uh, in readers.
9: I insist that uh, the teenager is more damaged, let's say, by the gyrations he goes under while he's doing rock and roll. Uh, maneuvers than he can ever be damaged by the pages of a book. Jimmy Walker, when he was mayor of New York, once said, I never heard of anybody being ruined by a book. Most of the things that uh, are supposed to be so objectionable in books are things that every teenager in the United States not only knows but is talked about at length in school or on the way home from school. I don't think anybody has ever been really ruined by a book.
2: And why is this issue important? Because it doesn't and with just moving the young adult books over to the adult section, that's the first baby step to a more restrictive policy of total removal, because you're starting to make moral judgments over other people's reading material That's something you can do for your family, but not for other families. Um, here's Bennett Cerf's final thoughts that I selected from that interview with Mike Wallace in 1959, in which he elucidates the same point that censorship doesn't end with only the objectionable material, quickly it moves on to more important matters that could affect you.
8: Now you say that no matter how objectionable this kind of thing might be, there is no harm in letting a teenager or adult read it. We on this program have a teenage and adult audience. So I'll leave it up to you if you really want to defend your point. You take a minute now, look it over. I th-
9: looked at this. Well, I, wait just a second. I don't want to read it, and I wouldn't want my children to read it. I don't I don't say there aren't a lot of books being published that shouldn't be. I'd be a fool if I'd said that to you.
8: Well, well, I don't understand. is If you don't want to read it, you certainly wouldn't read it on the air. You don't want your children to read it, and that you'll defend to the death, so to speak, it's right to be so. You
9: bet I will. Uh, The reason I say that is that uh, if censorship could be confined to trash like this, that would be a fine thing, but we all know from experience that when you start censorship, when you start letting the censor have his way, he doesn't stop at preventing books that are going to hurt youth. The next thing he stops, are books that are going to be designed for intelligent adults. And once you let him stop telling you what to read, then he starts telling you what to think and what to do.
2: Goodness, not said it better myself. That's why Bennett Cerf, one of the smartest people to ever exist. also. Um, Uh, But the publisher for Ayn Rand's uh, Atlas Shrugged. One of the best books ever written. One of my favorite. One of my favorite books. Um, so yeah, check him out. Um, you can also find him uh, making appearances on "What's My Line" from the 1950s, along with Arlene Francis, Dorothy Kilgallen, uh, John Charles Daly, who is a, a very storied reporter. Lots of interesting characters. Check that show out sometime. It would well be worth a watch. Um, otherwise, I think we'll leave the conversation on censorship there. It was uh, very well summed summed up by Bennett Surf. Thanks for listening to. 93 wibc coming up next casey daniels joining us in studio for a conversation uh taking a look back at the republican debate and who won stay tuned for that
7: well, I don't know, but I've been told Uranium ore's worth more than gold. So, sold my cad, I bought me a Jeep. I got that bug and I can't sleep. Uranium, uranium fever, fever has gone and got... You're
1: fever. listening to Saturday Night on the Circle uranium on 93 fever. WIPC.
2: With a Geiger counter in my hand. Welcome back to Saturday Night on the Circle. I'm your bohemian codger, Ethan Hatcher. Don't miss my podcasts uploaded to Saturday Night on the SaturdayNightOnTheCircle.fireside.fm, WIPC.com, plus in the comments while we're streaming live on the YouTube. This week commenced the first Republican primary debate held in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where eight candidates battled for the position of runner-up as the presumptive nominee dominating the polls. Donald Trump decided not to attend, but a surprising dark horse candidate drew much fire and dominated the field, winning the debate in the estimation of many. Here to reflect on the Spartan battle of wits and policy positions is the loquacious and lovely lady of luxury and levity the better half of the Kendall. Casey Show, (laughs) the one and only Casey Daniels joins us in studio. Welcome again, Casey. Hi,
7: Ethan. Thanks for having me.
2: Hey, it's a pleasure to have you here. I was fascinated by the Republican debate. I know Rob liked to joke that only eight people are going to be watching. Mm -hmm. I was one of the eight. I I thought it was
7: really interesting. I was kind of surprised. There were a lot of memorable moments. Yeah, I was thoroughly entertained by it as well. I was one of the other eight people that watched it. So, before we
2: dive into it, why don't you give me your general impressions of the goings-on and Mm -hmm. then we'll talk about who I thought won the debate.
7: Well, I thought it was high energy, which was good. Uh I thought there were a few people that were ready to Go and there were a few people who probably should not have been on that stage, but that's the whole point of it: is to get them all up there, see who they are, and whittle down who you like and who you think is worthy of the job.
2: Doug Who and Asa need to be weeded out because (laughs) they had their chance and Uh, brought nothing to the table. So I will tell you, uh, the the Doug (laughs) Who
7: Bergam, I had, you know, who is this guy? Oh, that's who he is. I thought he actually did pretty well. partly okay uh, but then there were moments you could tell he was maybe not as prepared or not quite uh ready he wasn't in his, in the right league writers thought he wasted a hell of a lot of money to get up on
2: that mm-hmm. stage so he could trot out that lame anecdotal joke like oh well they told me to break a leg in
7: Milwaukee
2: uh-huh. like okay
7: yeah
2: uh, ha, 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 you know but uh, th- this is not why we're here guy
3: yeah
7: he <laughs> tore his Achilles right but the night before the debate and uh, I, a million dollars yeah you wouldn't have stopped me from being on <laughs> I would have been like, give me him in a chair. Whatever cortisone shots you need to hook me up with, I'm going to be on that debate stage. And he was, uh, which was good to hear what he had to say. But I was, I had zero expectations. Yeah. Of Doug Burgum, so he did better than I thought he was going to. Sure. Do. Uh, Asa Hutchinson next. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that was just a waste of time and money and uh, airspace for other people. Chris Christie performed as
2: expected. Like I a thought. Yeah, he it was mostly airing grievances against Donald and Trump.
7: Yes, and that was the whole point. He needed to prove why he wanted to be president other than to beat up on Donald Trump, and I don't think he did that.
2: Right. I mean, I thought he made a couple good points, um, but that said, he didn't energize me. He didn't draw no. me to his candidacy. I don't think he moved the needle, you so know, it's, time, it's time to move.
7: <laughs> Ethan, you don't want to be yelled at by a presidential candidate? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I'll tell you who
2: did wow me, Casey, mm-hmm. and you have pointed the the, the attention uh, at Vivek. I think you might be onto something here. I haven't given any attention to this guy. Mm-hmm. I thought he was kind of an outlier, a little bit of a silly, cringy guy, do, you know, doing the mm-hmm. rap at the Iowa State Fair. Yeah. That's not swaying me. But no. then his performance on the debate stage, and he's talking about expanding and embracing nuclear energy, mm-hmm. which, in my opinion, is not so, an issue that gets nearly enough focus because it would address the energy crisis. That is squeezing America. So to have a candidate articulately ex- articulate,ly express that mm-hmm. idea, I'm like, ooh, this is pretty good. And he had the fire. He, uh, he drew a lot of attention uh, from other candidates, and he stuck it right back to him. Yeah, so he
7: did. I was impressed. 38 year old biotech engineer. He did. He slapped around some of those other hopefuls, uh, like Mike Pence, and uh-huh. he tangled with Nikki Haley. Made and, her look like a war hawk. And he, yes, he did. And when he said, "Good luck being on." on the board of directors of, you know, some of these ah, other Vion, yeah. Yes, <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. That was a, yeah. Um, many people are saying, well, he plagiarized the line about being a skinny guy with a funny last name, but I think he actually attributed that to Barack Obama when he was asking Chris Christie for a hug because back in 2012, when Chris Christie hugged Barack Obama, yeah. Obama went going on winning, and so Vivek was like, well, yeah. hug me, you know, like he did yeah, him, that was winner. another funny line. Um, so I thought he did uh, really well. And uh, boy, did he see a bump because of it.
2: You brought up an interesting point, though, is that he went to the well of Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Not once, not, not twice, but thrice, especially mentioning um, that hug, which I had forgot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, yeah, that was an excellent line as well. The primary two were, were yeah, the skinny guy with a funny last mm-hmm. name. And then the 1980s called uh, they want their foreign policy back. Well, that which was another line from the debate with uh, Mitt Romney. And he went twice. Mm-hmm. uh You know, uh, hearkening Barack Obama. So I thought that was interesting for a Republican candidate. What did you make of those lines, of those those moments?
7: I thought they were okay, but I thought his best line was like what you said, talking about uh, energy, you Uh know, uh, drill and the fuel and the uh, nuclear energy and everything. And he said that uh, the only war that he would declare as president will be the war on the federal administrative state and really beat up on Mike Pence about that. They really went uh, toe to toe on that. And they made Mike
2: Pence look. He did,
7: and then he got shot back at Mike Pence and said the USSR doesn't exist anymore. It fell back in the 90s. So I thought uh, he performed really well. He came out like he was ready to fight. He knew what he wanted to say, and he said it. He -hmm. took the chance.
2: Do you think that any of these candidates have moved the needle or do you think it's as my estimation in the lead up to this discussion that they're really battling for the position of runner up is whoever ultimately wins these debates going to be Donald Trump's vice presidential nominee? Because it seems for better or for worse, he is the presumptive nominee. Mm -hmm. He's dominating the polls. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure no matter how well any of these candidates, including Vivek, perform in the upcoming debates, it will uh, ensure their victory.
7: Yeah. Yeah, I think that a lot of people with the indictments with, with mm. Donald Trump, that's just baked in with him. And if you're willing to accept that, then, yeah, he's going to be the candidate. Uh, but there there's still plenty of time. Now, when it comes to Vivek, you know, I haven't completely 100 percent vetted the guy. I know that there's going to be some questions. A lot of people had comments like he came across as a smarmy and a salesman. And, well, that's what he is. Yeah. He's not a politician. He's used to being in. In, uh, board boardrooms with really smart people and selling. I, and so that's what he was doing when he was on the debate stage. I think a lot of people were struck at how smart he is.
2: People have also been making digs at his background, something mm-hmm. that in the live Twitter feed, uh, Tony Katz uh, pointed out during the debate, um, which is when he you know, said that the other candidates are bought and paid for. Mm-hmm. Well, by... that was a
7: dig at DeSantis being a super PAC and sure, he saying but he's, he's mean, using it, his own money. It's every
2: candidate and Tony Katz pointed out that uh, in the past Vivek has been the recipient of Soros funding. Now that was because of a scholarship when he was twenty-seven. Okay,
7: well, was I'm not that- sure
2: that scholarship and campaign donations fall in the same category, but it is an interesting point to note.
7: I haven't looked it up. Scholarships come for two reasons. There's need-based and there's merit-based. Mm-hmm. If it's in And obviously, he had like $2 million in the bank. It wasn't need-based. But if you got that scholarship money because it was merit-based, what's wrong with that?
2: I don't think it was an issue. It's just something that I'm pointing out, that some people, in yeah. light of his bought-and-paid-for comments, well, a tut-tut, you with this Soros connection. And it's not even George Soros. It's like a Soros family member. I think it's like his brother or something. Sure. And
7: a lot of people are going to start going back and looking and reviewing things that he has said in the past. And he he's said some pretty squirrely things in the uh, past that I don't agree with. I mean, I, I don't agree with 100% of what he says, but he does start the conversation, and he's not afraid to start the conversation, which I think is good.
2: Yeah, like you, I don't think I agree with 100% of yeah. any of the candidates. Right. Um, but, but that said, I thought his performance mm-hmm. was noteworthy. It caught my attention, yeah. and in the past where I've not paid a lick of attention to this guy, he has now really got my focus. Now, I well, I wanted DeSantis to win. I was really mm-hmm. rooting for DeSantis mm-hmm. going into the uh, the primary debate. Yeah. I'm you know still willing to uh, ultimately vote for him if it comes to that. But, you know, hey, Vivek impressed.
7: Yeah, he did. And I think Ron DeSantis has to be able to take his success in Florida and Floridians uh, really rally around him. But I don't know if people throughout the country in Iowa, in New Hampshire, uh, especially in Pennsylvania, where he's not performing very well, are understanding what it's like to live under his governors. And Mm -hmm. that's something that he's got to be able to make them understand. Uh, With Vivek, yeah, he got a lot of attention. Many people saying he won the debate. The new uh, Washington Post poll came out and said, actually, it was DeSantis, like, I think Mm. 29 to 26 is what they ranked it. But following that debate, uh, Vivek was the most Googled person. And he had a huge increase, 25 million social media impressions, 15 million video views views on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube and Twitter, Uh, 2.3 million social media engagements, and 100,000 new social media followers. So it was a good night for Vivek. Uh It's talking points that he has been practicing for a while. And the reason that I am more familiar with him is because he has been putting out, I think it's over 50 different podcasts leading up to the debate. So he's had time to kind of hone his message. He's written books about this. And uh, so he knew he was going to say nothing really took him off guard and some people are saying he he came across as maybe rude or overly confident sure of himself well you know what when you compare it to what we have had with Joe Biden who can't complete a sentence yeah it it does take you off guard to hear somebody who's intelligent and can articulate it.
2: You need confidence in leadership, mm-hmm. and I think politics. It's been said many times before. This isn't you know a, a stunning observation, but politics is a game of expectations. And maybe ultimately, the millstone around DeSantis' neck was the fact that he was uh, riding high on the cultural zeitgeist coming into the primary season, mm-hmm. and at one point, the pre, you know presumptive front runner yeah. of the primary battles. Uh, um, whereas now he's underperformed, so it's an expect it's an expectations game, and that has ultimately sunk him compared to Vivek, who's this relatively outsider and mm-hmm. has an opportunity to rise to the top.
7: Yeah, well, and I impress, think they and all, he has. They all need to be talking about uh, the economy and their plans to turn it around. I know Mike Pence has put out his energy plan, which, which was pretty thorough. So did Ron DeSantis, uh, but they're not articulating that to the American people, and I think that's what they need to do because we can of all the culture wars we want. But if you can't afford your rent and you can't afford your food, does it really matter at yeah. the end of the day? Well, we got more debates
2: coming up, and I do hope mm-hmm. they focus more on the economy because yeah. that's the area where you can most strongly contrast Republican leadership mm-hmm. with the disaster that has been the Biden administration.
7: Not only that, but education. Yeah. I think those are the two big things, economy and education. And out of everybody that was on the stage, I thought it was Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Nikki Haley who did the best. Thanks for uh, coming in the studio and sharing your thoughts. Yeah, Casey. thanks for having me.
2: Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on the Circle. We've got a lot more coming up, so stay tuned to ninety-three WIBC. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from seven to nine Eastern on ninety-three WIBC Indianapolis, and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans.
1: Saturday night on The Circle on 93 WIBC.
2: The State Fair came to a close this week on Sunday the 20th. I had the opportunity to go several times this year and had a blast. The State Fair being one of the only things that I have strictly happy memories of. It's always a highlight of my year. Did you did you get the chance to go to the State Fair this year, Producer Carl? Yes, I did. Oh, my God. What did you have? Uh, did you like to eat your way around the fair like I do? <laughs> yeah, I had uh, pork. Pork
3: pork? Yeah, yeah. And, and ice cream as well. Oh, did you get the Dippin' Dots? See, I, no, like the, I didn't get the dipping
2: Dots. I like the dipping Dots. When else are you gonna get those silly little nitrogen frozen spheres? <laughs> um, It adds something. Yeah. Um, and it yeah, adds to your stomach. <laughs> um, and then of course, also, can't walk away from the fair without uh, some classic kettle corn and also cotton candy. Don't you love cotton candy? It's made of cotton
1: and also candy. If your fingers get sticky, eat off your hand. Lickety licky. Don't you uh, love cotton candy?
2: Classic at the State Fair. Attendance was up this year, although not as quite as high as 2013. Um, They did have more than 830,000 837,000 attendants. Unfortunately, that brings us to a close, so I'll leave you with my parting words of wisdom. As always, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you're with, remember that life is a state of mind. See you next week. guys thanks for listening to the saturday night on the circle podcast be sure to catch us live every saturday night from 7 to 9 eastern on 93 wibc indianapolis and watch us on the youtube live stream where you can comment live with other fans